The Pace Line is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health-conscious people like runners, cyclists, weightlifters, and vegetarians get lower rates on their life insurance rates. Go to healthiq.com forward slash Pace Line to support the show and see if you qualify. And the Pace Line is supported by LAL Cycling. The coast is calling. LAL Shore Collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LAL products are crafted right here in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now, on to the show. Paceliners, we know you love to ride, but sometimes you feel the need to pull the plug. You know what's happened to you, right? You're riding along, and little by little, or sometimes really suddenly, you're not having any fun. My topic takes a look at the Winter Olympics and a cheating scandal that outdoes anything we've seen in cycling. And Patrick takes us between the lines of his deeply personal story that is getting national exposure. It's me following this Buddhist pilgrimage, uh, sort of roughly, by bike, and exploring what I'm wrestling with uh, in my home life. Uh, My depression, uh, challenges in parenting, challenges in my marriage. Line, the podcast on two wheels. Patrick Hottie and Fatty bringing you the number one cycling show co-hosted in Southern California, Northern California, and Alpine, Utah. All rights reserved. We're, of course, the official podcast of redkiteprayer.com. Find us and subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And if you subscribe, we'll magically appear on your device of choice every week. Don't go cheating by listening to us at double speed either because we're talking at the rate we want you to listen, man. This is episode 103 of The Pace Line. It's the three-man, three-pull, three-pick ride to the city limit sign. Hottie, contributor to RKP. I am never going to get that word right. And actual broadcasting professional. How's your Valentine's Day going? Contributor? That's the word you're struggling with? It is a hard word. Uh, yeah. It has it has so many syllables. Just say guy with RKP. That works. Okay. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say from now on. Guy with RKP. Hey, I'm RKP. watching the Olympics, guys, you know, and the Olympics has this huge EPO, growth hormone, blood doping cloud hanging over it. So why does cycling get such a bad rap when it comes to the cleanliness of its sport? And do you care about cycling's Ooh. image? It's a hard question. I know. I'm very heavy this week. <laughs> heavy. Oh, it's going to be a heavy episode. Patrick, yeah. publisher of RKP, or another guy with RKP. How was the grasshopper? Um, Really, really hard. Um, I was sort of amazed at, at how hard it was, given that I never hit any dirt. <laughs> and what have you got for us this week? So there's a big feature by me uh, in the latest issue of Bicycling. So this is two issues in a row. Yeah, congratulations. Looking forward to talking about that. And I am Fatty, and I am going to whine about rides that are too damn long. Hmm. Hottie, this ride ain't going to ride itself. <laughs> You've got the first pull. All right. The Olympics are underway in South Korea And I have a thought about how to get cycling into the Winter Games. 
If not cyclocross, which seems to be caught between the two Olympic seasons, winter and summer, then how about fat bike racing, huh? (laughs) I mean, if they put golf in the summer games and hot dog skiing in the winter, why not some big knobbies going for gold? Fat bike racing for the 24th Winter Games in 2022. Hey, I really do love watching the Olympic Games. Mrs. Hottie and I gather around the TV and watch these athletes, most of whom have trained and competed in obscurity for months and years and are suddenly thrown onto the world stage in a pressure-packed environment, all in the name of competition and pride in country. In particular, we like cross-country skiing and biathlon. We like those events because the athletes seem to have something in common with competitive cyclists. Both need outstanding cardio fitness, the ability to measure one's effort and size up opponents. Athletes in both sports wear skin-tight clothes and cool sunglasses. And both sports know their way around a solid doping program. If you tune into the games, you're going to notice something kind of weird. No Russia. Oh, there are athletes from Russia. They're just not competing for Russia. (laughs) The Russian competitors are called the Olympic athletes of Russia. And they are lucky to be in Pyeongchang at all. Russia was caught up in a huge government-sponsored doping program at the Sochi and Rio Games. The International Olympic Committee originally was going to ban Russian involvement from the Games, but instead decided it was unfair to punish athletes who were not part of that doping program and has allowed them to compete as oars, (laughs) Olympic athletes (laughs) of Russia, the oars. Uh, But they cannot fly the Russian flag. Any medal won will not be credited to Russia's medal count. And if one of their athletes wins gold, then the Olympic anthem will be played instead of the Russian national anthem. I looked up Olympic sports with the highest incidence of doping. Cycling led the way with 3.6% of athletes testing positive, then weightlifting, then boxing. Part of me was kind of depressed when I read that. And part of me was like, yeah, whatever. I mean, so many people have called (laughs) cycling crooked and the doping story is such a constant that I'm really caught in the middle of my feelings. I don't know whether to scream for more testing or throw my hands up in the air and say, ah, right on. The 2018 season, cycling season, is underway, and doping is front and center with Chris Froome's case headed for a hearing with the UCI. So where is cycling when compared to other sports and doping? Are we the worst? Are we just like the others? Maybe we're better at catching our cheats, so good, in fact, that we look bad to the rest of the world. Boys, fatty, help me with this (laughs) dilemma. Where? Do you look at cycling as just, oh, it's just awful? Or when you look at other sports, does it put it more into context? I think that you have to ask yourself a question. Why do you care about cycling? If you care about cycling because you are interested in how the very best in the world are doing at this, at, at racing, then yeah, you have to care about doping. And I think that I used to. However, I've been beaten about the head and shoulders so often with this that I truly don't care anymore. So that's that's part one to to your to your question. You know, what do you think? Do you care? I don't care anymore. Wait, what part is it you don't care about? Is it that you don't care about the doping or you don't care about cycling as a thing for professional racing? I don't care about pro cycling. 
Ah. Period. Okay. Okay. I, I I don't follow it anymore. I don't know uh, whether the Tour de France route has been specified yet. I know that Chris Froome is under a cloud but can race because you guys have talked about it, <laughs> and and that's about it. I care about cycling because I love uh, riding my bike, and I love hanging out with other people who love riding their bikes, and I love racing myself. Uh, in the in the greater context you were talking about, Hadi, uh, do we – care about whether cycling is dirtier than other sports. I'm going to split it. I'm going to abstract it away from cycling and say there are cheaters in the world and there are not cheaters in the world. And the likelihood of someone being more likely to cheat because they are a cyclist rather than, say, a curler or a snowboarder or a gymnast to me at least i don't see i don't see anything that makes up the difference in psychology that would warrant that so i think probably in my own personal mind experiment that we are there are more captured uh, cyclists who have doped but there as a percentage are probably not more doping cyclists than any other kind of athlete Patrick, you've written a lot about this, and it seems like every time you do on RKP, you draw a, a lot of comments on your site. Have you have you been worn down by the doping story? Are you still as committed as ever to see this sport cleaned up? And 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 give give me a little comparison. I mean, you know, cross country skiing as good as anybody I know. Where do, where does cycling fit in with the with the cheats of the world? Oh, boy. <laughs> Where to start? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so first, cycling. Um, I I have despaired of pro racing. And it really makes me sad because, I, you know, I love those races. I love the Tour de France. I really do. I mean, just, you know, the concept of it, you know, the, the varied courses that they come up with every year. Um, you know, the terrain they tackle. I love all of that. But man, Grand Tour racing is little other than an invitation to dope. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's just it, a three-week stage race, man. If ever there was anything that you needed oxygen vector doping for, it's that. It's, you know, because you need it to be able to recover. You need it to be able to ride an ore category climb at 140 BPM and still have something in the tank for that last kilometer to the top where you rip off, you know, 500 Watts for six minutes or whatever. And it's like, Oh my God. Um, so, you know, seeing what's happening and Chris Froome's a great example of, you know, a, a way to shine a spotlight on the ongoing problems I don't see cycling ever really completely cleaning itself up. The problem is what causes me to despair is that the sport is arguably the cleanest it has ever been, Hmm. but it's still not clean. And I don't know what to do about that. You know, there's an element of, uh, the, the, the racing population that just doesn't get it. Uh, they're too focused on, you know, their need to perform and get results so that they can have a contract next year. Um, 
or have a bigger contract next year. I, you know, I don't know any way uh, that that's not going to continue to be an issue. Um, and so I have my, my interest is much less than it once was mm. Nordic skiing, man. That's another one where oxygen vector doping, you know, was just absolutely lovely, uh, for the results and times, um, you know, none of the, none of these so-called endurance sports are in any way immune, uh, to, to doping. Uh, particularly oxygen vector doping. And so, you know, there have certainly been scandals in it. I think the reason cycling takes more heat than swimming or Nordic skiing or any of the others that we could mention right now is because it's just, it's got a, a broader reach. Uh, it's got greater popularity. Um, I mean, okay, if you go to Norway, you know, Nordic skiing going to kill cycling. I get that. But here in the U.S., and the big problem is that, you know, in Europe, by and large, the audience gets it. Doping has been a part of it and they don't get their underwear in a wad. Um, it's <laughs> it's um, okay to say panties on the podcast. Yeah, by yeah, the yeah. Way. <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> I, man, I just, how to put it, there's just, there's, there's such a Pollyanna attitude on the part of the American audience where we, when cyclists said they were clean, we believed them and took it at face value and didn't understand that it was wink, wink, nudge, nudge, clean, um, you know, mostly clean or sometimes clean or whatever, however you want to uh, define that. So we got outraged and, you know, the sponsors got outraged and, you know, the big money disappeared thanks to Lance. Um, it was, it was kind of an open secret, uh, for a long time. And then, uh, the postal affair, um, you know, several years after, uh, the Festina affair that really, that really killed it. And I think for me, what soured me so badly was understanding the, the nefarious tactics that Armstrong and the postal service used to stay on top. Um, it was just mm. so ugly that I was just like, okay, I'm out. Yeah. About as ugly as the Russian government and what they did at Sochi and Rio of not ugly. Oh, I mean, yes. at least, at least Lance wasn't backed by a government at Sochi. Uh, Russia won nine medals in cross country and bi biathlon, but their doping program resulted in those medals being stripped and 14 athletes from those two sports alone being banned. Now you talked about, you know, doping and cycling and its impact on the public and the sport and the competition. Um, cross country skier Alex Harvey of Canada said something that's pretty interesting when it comes to cheating and in uh, cross country skiing. He says there's still a chance to win, a chance to beat the dopers. Harvey says it's not like cycling where you just ride up a mountain for one hour and everybody's bike is the same and there's not much going on other than fitness. In skiing, there's technique, there's equipment, so it's still possible to beat the cheater. And that's what he's been telling himself his whole career, that even though the sport is clouded with cheating, with doping, he still feels <laughs> he has a chance to beat the cheaters head-to-head -head when they're on the stuff and he's not. Uh, a quick Olympics side note, Fatty. You know, 
Women's figure skating is a huge part of the games. But whether you're into that competition or not, check out I, Tonya, the movie about Tonya Harding. Her rise and fall and the Kerrigan crack to the knee. It's really a great take on the story. You already know. And Alice and Janie does a fantastic job playing Tonya Harding's mom. No one does white trash like Janie. <laughs> so Do you that. enjoyed that film? Yeah. Good. I haven't seen it yet. Good movie. Okay, yeah. we'll put it on the list. Yeah. Bound to come to Netflix eventually, right? <laughs> oh, that was bad of me. Okay. So, Hadi, I'm still not sure what your answer to your question is. Scream or say, nah, whatever, and ride on. Yeah, I'm, Where do you stand? No, I'm with the two of you. I've gotten worn out by the doping story. In fact, when yeah. I was writing up this thing for, for us to discuss, I almost threw it out. I'm like, uh, it, it became depressing, and I got negative, and I was like, why am I, why am I even doing this? But I, I still love the competition, whether or not it's it, there's a cloud hanging over it. And in, in the case of the Olympic Games, in in South Korea, there was this massive mm-hmm. cloud thanks to the Russian government. Um, sure, people are having a hard time believing anything they look at. So, you know, I still love I still love to look at the sport of cycling. I love looking at the sport of cross country skiing and biathlon. It's a beautiful, mm-hmm. ultra competitive, interesting cardio sport that I identify with. Whether I you know obviously I identify with cycling. I'm not a cross country skier, but I identify with those athletes. Based on how they train, how they get ready, their cardio fitness, it's so the beauty of the sport is still there despite yeah. the cloud. Yeah, and I think that those of us who have done endurance uh, are going to appreciate the cross country skiing in particular because that kind of effort is cycling adjacent, if not you know a, a real close cousin. And well. I I think that we will leave it there. I'm going to let you drift back. That was a great pull. And now I'm going to complain a little bit. That's my that's my job in this podcast. But I've been thinking a lot about ride length lately. Specifically, when is a ride too long? You know it's happened to you, right? You're riding along and little by little or sometimes really suddenly, you're not having any fun. I want to be clear. I am not advocating against riding hard nor against riding long. I like both of those things, maybe even love them. But I find myself trying to figure out when does a ride become too long? It's not necessarily the distance or difficulty because the same route can be perfect one time and then no fun at all the next. I can be completely smoked and having a great time or be feeling fairly strong but just thinking about that moment when I finally get to get off my bike, and that is the only thought that occupies my mind for half the ride. So as I'm trying to work this out, it seems like the rightness of the length of the ride is almost entirely in my head. And the reason for how long I want to go probably shifts around too. Although I will say from current experience that a saddle sore drastically reduces my per-ride fun quotient by about 95%. So given all this, what is the right thing to do when the duration of the ride exceeds the fun of the ride? Tough it out? Complain? Bail? And if you're bailing, then do I negotiate how I'm going to bail if I'm riding with someone? Or if the answer is tough it out, why? Do we keep going because we agreed on the route? 
Or do we say, you know what? I ride because I enjoy it and I'm not enjoying it. Patrick, you are someone who rides more for fun than to prove a point. What's your answer? Um, I, I bail on a ride. <laughs> you've ne- you've never wanted to, or you've never done it. I I can. Wow. I think I recall some occasions where I've cut rides short because of pain in my neck and shoulder. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, we've said it here before. I've got spinal stenosis, uh, and so I get nerve pain. And uh, man, I'll take a saddle sore any day over nerve pain. I seriously will. Uh, I once did an entire crit sitting side saddle because I had a boil. Um, so, <laughs> you know... <laughs> Um, I, you know, I'm, I will. I'm going to need a photo of that. No, 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 not of the sore. Right. Of the sitting side saddle part. Uh, well maybe we can do a reenactment, you know, I'll get my civil war uniform out. Um, but no, I, cutting rides short. I, I can't recall the last time I did that. So is it because you don't want to, or you don't think it's the right thing to do? I, uh, frankly, I'm astonished because when if i'm not having fun then why am i out there well see, do you always have fun once you're out there is that is that your answer is that this my segment is completely foreign to you I'm, it doesn't even make sense i i'm gonna plead low iq uh that i'm <laughs> i'm too stupid to recognize that there might be a possibility i'm no longer having fun and that there are solutions afoot I'm going to bring this over to Hottie then Mm -hmm. because I I, I don't think that – you're from another – I think you're from another planet if you don't think I want out of this ride. Hottie, do you you start finding yourself going, how do I get out of this? And what is your answer when you have that question, if you have that question? Yeah. I mean it hasn't happened often, but I have no problem telling the gang, I'm out of here. This is no good for me today. Um, it doesn't happen often. And usually when I commit now, it, there's some variables here too, fatty. The biggest one would be size of the group. Look, if it's you and another mm-hmm. person and the two of you have made a commitment to ride together for a certain number of hours, um, s- suddenly there is more pressure and probably more need for you to live up to that commitment because somebody else right. is depending on you. Um, that's maybe, a good point. You know, maybe for a tube or maybe to bail them out or who knows what, right. Or maybe just for motivation. But if it's if it's a larger group, then who cares? You you can turn around and go anytime you want to. Just tell the group, I'm I'm headed back. This ain't happening. I've seen. And who am I to say I'm not in your cycling shoes, right? If <laughs> if you've had a tough week, if you had an argument with your wife before you headed out, you feel like you need to go. I, who am I to say, right? Well, it, it's more likely to happen because of the cycling shoes, as we talked about last week, but. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, the, the saddle sore definitely changes the whole thing for you. You know, I get that pain will just shut down your desire to keep riding. I'm, I completely respect that. I, I see that as something fundamentally different than suddenly deciding I'm not having a good time or I'm finished or however you want to put it. But how about when it is just more or less in your own head that it is, Something where you're like, you know what? My motivation for this is gone. 
Is there a reason to tough it out? Yes. If you, it's just you and me, and we're going someplace remote, and that that'd mm-hmm. be about one of the few. If, if I'm on a, a road and it's populated, and you want to go back, I'm probably not going to argue with you. Yeah. So I'm not going to be happy with you, but I'm going to say that's cool. Okay, go <laughs> ahead, and I'll see you next week. Yeah. Keep your social commitments. If it's just you and another person, then you've made an agreement. If it's you as part of a big group ride, you know, just say, and then yeah, no difficulties, just pulling the cord. But you know what? I ha- I have a whole mental thing. If I say to one person or to many people, you know, I'm not having fun anymore. There is a certain identity thing I have with being a strong and tough endurance cyclist, the guy who can go for hour upon hour for hundreds of miles if I want to or need to or have committed to. It's almost like by saying, you know what, this isn't fun. It's uh, a, hey, you know what, I'm no longer myself. And it's weird. Um I think I'm getting old, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just going to say it's remarkable to me that you would have the ability to recognize this within you because, I mean, you've done race efforts, you know, for far longer than I have in, you know, in the recent past, you know. Oh, it's who I am. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I, I, I make, I, I, I tell everyone about it. I have, I have the biggest buckle of, you know, around. It's, it's, this is, yeah, it, it's something that uh, I've obviously invested a huge amount of my time and identity into. You don't do Leadville 20 times because every year you're thinking, you know what, the race I want to do more than anything else is the Leadville 100. Um, I, somehow I got Leadville in mm-hmm. there again. Sorry. But, you know, it, it's uh, – I don't know if it is just a – it's this season and I'm more interested in riding for fun or what. But I'm finding a couple of hours is about as long as I want to ride. And after that, I'm ready to call it a day and move on to the next thing. Or maybe it's a new job. Maybe – you know, who knows? There's There's all kinds of reasons. But I kind of am at a point where I'm thinking – this year is my shorter, less endurancey year, and maybe that is okay. Thanks for psychoanalyzing me with uh, uh, with myself, guys. I appreciate <laughs> it. I think now might not be a bad time for us to take our first break, and when we come back, Patrick's got a very intense raw story he's going to talk about that he just published in Bicycling Magazine, and then the Paceline Picks. <laughs> These invited athletes will participate, be it in individual or team competitions, under the name Olympic Athlete from Russia, with the acronym OAR. IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for cyclists. They do this by qualifying endurance athletes through quizzes that demonstrate their knowledge of and adherence to a healthy lifestyle. Health IQ follows applicants all the way through the process from when they submit interest 
to starting applications, from going through underwriting to policy in force. The policy is underwritten by one of our top partners, an insurer. Health IQ's underwriting advantages include family history, reducing your chance of being penalized for adverse family health history if you are otherwise healthy, low resting heart rate. Most carriers will penalize people if their heart rate is too low. We help them recognize that this is a sign of your excellent health and fitness. The Health IQ Advantage is their unique mortality model on the health conscious, and they have lower rates for health conscious people, just like a good driver gets savings on auto insurance. And they have unique underwriting calculations that replace BMI with waist-to-hip ratio and more. To see if you qualify, get your free quote today at healthiq.com forward slash paceline. And we're back. Hadi and I have taken our polls, and now, Patrick, it is up to you. Okay. So about 18 months ago, I began pitching my editor at Bicycling Magazine about a story on touring in Japan. I'd been invited to the island of Shikoku, which is the smallest of the four major islands in the Japanese archipelago, by my former teammate Eric Romney to do a reconnaissance trip for a new tour he wanted to offer on that island with his company, Japan Cycling Tours. I suggested to him that we follow the 88 Temple pilgrimage that Buddhists walk. Now, this thing is 750 miles around the island and has been going on for 1,200 years, longer than Christianity's pilgrimage, the Santiago de Compostela, and the Muslim pilgrimage, the Hajj. What I told my editor, Gloria, was that I wanted one day to get completely sideways. I keep saying this, but it's true. I wanted just one day where I was separated from the group, lost, the sun going down, me bonking, and a choice between eating fish heads and continuing to bonk. What surprised me was when she said, we want to know why you want to do this. And I was like, what? And she's like, well, there's a spiritual underpinning to this thing, right? What is it about this that has your interest? The story that emerged really pretty surprised me. It's not the story I thought that I was writing. Um, It's a pretty intensely personal piece and one I didn't think bicycling would be interested in, which is why I didn't pitch it. It's not that I can't write about my personal experience. Hell, I do a lot of that. However, in the past, when I've written about personal experiences, They were either well in the past and I had the clarity that comes with distance or I was a passenger for much of the experience, like when my youngest, Matthew, was in the NICU. With that, I mostly just reported on the experience. Um, It's not like there were decisions to be made other than whether or not he would have surgery. But with this feature, 88 Temples, The experience was different in that the outcome was unknown and I was wrestling with a number of issues. I was facing real decisions and I knew that not all the decisions were mine to make either. Um, So some of this was out of my hands uh, again. So to be really honest with you, I wasn't clear how depressed I was in the months leading up to the trip. And that's a big chunk of what the piece concerns. Uh, I wasn't clear about how depressed I was when I left. Um, and I didn't even use the word depressed in my first draft of the piece. Um, you know, to, to give a broad outline of what it does, um, for those who haven't had a chance to read it. Um, so it's, uh, it's me following this 
Buddhist pilgrimage, uh, sort of roughly by bike and exploring what I'm wrestling with, uh, in my home life, uh, my depression, uh, challenges in parenting challenges in my marriage. Um, and again, yeah, I, (laughs) this is not the piece I pitched, but it's the one they managed to draw out of me. Hmm. Um, okay. So I've said my piece, (laughs) Um, unlike other polls, I don't think this one is, uh, going to result in me asking a lot of questions of you guys. I kind of figure that you probably have more questions for me. Hmm. Uh, first of all, it was a beautifully written piece between the words you laid down and whatever bicycling helped you with it. The words are, are tremendous. They're impactful. Um, the photographer you and I talked about, Patrick, earlier on, I was kind of hoping for some color photos, but I understand why they did black and white. Uh, it was mm-hmm. very interesting. Have, first of all, have you read the piece? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've read it any number of times, actually. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, and uh, what's, so what's been the immediate reaction so far? Because it is deeply personal. Uh, yeah, it is, it is about your family and your home life. And a lot of it circles around that. What has been the overall reaction you received? Um, uh, mostly positive, occasionally super positive, uh, people, you know, praising me for sharing something so difficult to share, you know, and it helping them recognize uh their own struggles uh one friend of mine in the industry uh you know called me uh after he'd read it and you know told me how he'd been crying because it finally helped him explain to his family what he goes through um part of part of the concern of the trip was how you know the the oddity and sheer irony of going on a vision quest uh, in a foreign country and being away from your family to think about parenting so that you can go home and be a better parent. It's like, well, that's a little strange, but yeah. it's certainly something that resonated with him. You know, and then, of course, there have been a few people. Uh, I've gotten a couple of emails. There was one comment on RKP uh, where uh, Christians decided to lecture me about you know, this stupid Buddha guy and how much better Jesus is Mm. and, um, how I really shouldn't be on antidepressants. Um, you know, and it's times like that where you wanted to develop a steady diet of napalm. (laughs) Uh, you know, so I'll admit, you know, that stuff's sort of hard to listen to. Generally speaking, I got a pretty thick skin, uh, but when somebody goes personal and decides to judge you in that way, um, it's a little tougher to bite your tongue, um, which I did because I needed to. Hmm. So um, I'll say Does- that I feel naked with this out there. But, you know, this is the writing I'm trained to do. Um, I want to do good work, work that's thought provoking. So um, that's the price of admission. Yeah. So can I ask you, how do things stand now? I mean, this uh, is something that you wrote, in, you know, first draft months and months ago, and time has elapsed. Where are things now, and how are you doing? <sighs> um, I'm doing better. Um, 
I'll say there's more clarity in my relationship. Um, boy, um, beyond that, I'm not too comfortable uh, saying. Um, it's okay. It's okay to say it's not your business <laughs> when something's not my business. It's you know, but that is the question uh, that I'm assuming. You know, not just uh, your friends, but your listeners uh, are probably asking themselves as well. So I thought I would at least put it out there. It's, and it's fine to not tell everyone everything. It's a reasonable question. I agree with you. And certainly people yeah. have asked, you know, we hope that uh, bicycling will give you a chance to do a follow-up piece. Um, hmm. I don't know that bicycling is going to be interested in that. So, you know, maybe yeah. at some point there's a follow-up piece on RKP. Um, there's, um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm normally, I'm a pretty open book. Um, what I can say is, uh, I'm in a better emotional state today. Um, but yeah, I'm not completely ready to talk about all of the personal implications of what I describe in that story. Uh, sure. Anything, uh, that you wished you could have put in there that, that didn't make the cut? <laughs> no. Um, well, no. I, that's, no, I mean, maybe um, there were some, I mean, originally you wanted to do a story about this pilgrimage, right, and checking out the temples. And I think after reading the piece, one of my takeaways as well, and it was deeply personal, and this is no slight on the writing, but the description of the temples may have been something that got cut or not as deep as you would have liked to see it? You know, I, there were times when I wrote more about, you know, the, the, the look uh, of certain temples. And um, there was a, uh, a passage in there about what the proper sequence of moves as you visit a temple is, you know, how you greet it, how you make an offering, how you ring the bell. That got cut. That doesn't bother me. Um, okay. uh, I will say that, yeah, there is, there is one thing that got chopped that I would uh, have liked to keep. And that was um, a little bit more about who my companions were. Um, it was a pretty terrific mix. I would like to have talked about our former teammate, Hottie, uh, Eric Romney, mm -hmm. who runs the company. Mm -hmm. um, his then fiance, now wife, Soko was an absolute delight and we would have been not just royally screwed, but this would have been cosmically screwed without her. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I would have liked to talk about her a little bit more. And then my buddy, Eric Smith, um, who had a remarkable gift for, uh, both levity and philosophy. And, uh, you know, he kept us laughing even as he kept us thinking and he, he would be a gifted interviewer. Terry Gross, order, gifted interviewer. Um, he drew things out of me as we were riding around um, in the, the Land Cruiser, you know, like going to dinner or something like that. And he managed to just kind of keep drawing stuff out of me, even when I was ready to uh, uh, just isolate in silence. Um, so... That was uh, a helpful part of the trip and, uh, you know, just something I would have liked to talk about a little bit more. Uh, I would yeah. have liked the other personalities in there just a bit more. 
Well, whatever remained on the cutting room floor, the piece in bicycling is really good stuff. And I think it needs to be said to bicycling, kudos for running that kind of uh, that kind of feature. That is not something that uh, you necessarily would expect from a you know from a very tradition what what is thought of as a traditional cycling publication. So they went out on a bit of a limb, and I think they need to. We need to acknowledge that's awesome of them, and you know, nice, nice work, uh, both in editing, in photography, layout, everything. Uh, super nice work. So kudos to bicycling once again. Um, and I think that uh, oh, we need to make sure that we have a link to that article. Yep. In the show notes, right? It'll be there. Fa- fantastic. All right. I think this is a good time for us to move on to the picks. I will kick off. Uh, you know, I, I have a nice long one written, but I'm going to make my pick a little bit shorter. It, it We're recording on Valentine's Day, and the Hammer and I just got back from a nice sushi restaurant. I'm going to make my pay sign pick uh, the Tiger, the Honey Badger, and the Jenny at Tsunami Utah uh, uh, sushi restaurant. Um, man, you know, if you are a cyclist trying to watch what you eat, there is nothing like sushi. You know, you don't feel like you are just going to keel over from overeating. And that is a nice sushi restaurant. That said, any sushi, uh, well, I won't say any sushi is good sushi because I've had, I've had the opposite, but sushi is my pace line pick. Mm. Uh, and I'm going to leave it there, and I've got another one for another week. Patrick, what do you got? <laughs> okay, so this coming weekend is the North American Handmade Bicycle Show. I am, as per usual, super excited to be going. This year it's in Hartford, Connecticut, uh, which is reasonably equidistant from both Boston and New York, so hopefully we'll get a big turnout from those big cities. Now, what's really cool about this year's show is how we're going to see builders who don't ordinarily make the trip to the show, whether it's in the Midwest or on the West Coast, wherever. Uh, There are some folks who are turning out who, um, yeah, I haven't had a chance to see their work in a long time, if at all. Um, And then in addition to some some more exceptional Visitors, uh, there's going to be some pretty killer bikes there that I already know about. Uh, There's a gravel bike from Mosaic. Uh, Mosaic also won best gravel bike last year. So I don't know. I guess they're gunning for yet another win in that category. We'll see. Um, And then Mike DeSalvo had a really cool contest where he had uh, people write in and describe the bike that, that he ought to build. Um, and by some method, he chose a winner and he built that bike. And hopefully, uh, the person who, who recommended that he build that bike will be there because he's going to present them with that bike. Pretty cool contest as they go. I can't wait to see how that one has played out. Uh, and then show organizer, Don Walker is also guaranteed to have a pretty cool track bike there. That's kind of Don's specialty. And he does something different and special uh, every year. Once again, I'll be serving as chief judge for the awards. So while I won't be seen much on Friday, I'll be around on the floor both Saturday and Sunday. 
And this year, we're doing things a little differently with the awards. Normally, we wait until Sunday afternoon, uh, but this year we're doing almost all of the awards on Saturday at noon. It'll give the award-winning builders a better chance to gloat uh, rather than going, oh, hey, look, I got this trophy. Oh, look, they're turning the lights off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's something I've been pushing for for a couple of years, uh, and I'm excited that we will be doing that to give them a better chance to brag. The more gloat time, the better. Hottie, you started out this ride, and you get to finish up. Let's hear your pick. Well, when it comes to shades for sport, a good argument can be made that it starts and ends with Oakley. These guys have been at the forefront of lens technology and frame design for years. Lamond, Lance, the Schleck brothers have been some of the two-wheeled athletes to sport Oakleys. The company's right here in SoCal and available at most bike shops. They are pricey but a quality product and can be found on the faces of many cyclists. Just not mine. I don't wear <laughs> Oakley's. Used to, but gave my last pair to Mrs. Hottie. So why am I talking about them? Because what I do use from Oakley is their fabulous lens cleaner with a whacked out name, the Nano Clear Hydrophobic Pen Lens Cleaner. This black bottle of fluid does a great job of cleaning your shades, Oakley's or not. On one end of the bottle is a wide felt tip, and when inverted, applies the secret sauce to the lens. You let it sit there for a few seconds, and then use the supplied wipe, which is stored in the bottom end of the bottle, to remove the cleaner, along with your salty sweat and snot. This stuff leaves your sunglasses spotless. I use it on my riding sunglasses, my off-the-bike casuals, my reading glasses. Hell, if Harry Carey were to appear before me, I'd rip those Coke bottles off his face and give them a good cleaning. Holy cow, he'd exclaim. Of course, <laughs> that would be hard for him to do since he is dead. But you get the point. You want to ride. you got to be able to see. You need clean lenses. Let Oakley do the mopping up for you. It's up to you whether you want to wear their stuff. But my paceline pick, Oakley Nano Clear Hydrophobic Lens Cleaner and Protector, 20 bucks. Now, does this do anything other than just clean the lens? I mean, is it like a Rain-X treatment that'll help keep them cleaner yeah. longer well, or anything? Oh. I did, Patrick, have to look up hydrophobic or hydrophobic. <laughs> and it means hydrophobic, to yeah. Yeah, it means to essentially repel water. It means yeah, water heating. Yeah, is what it does. So it's supposed to keep water and supposedly, I guess, your sweat, too, from collecting on the glasses. Does it work? Yeah, sort of. It works fine. But really what it does is clean the hell out of your glasses real nice. Hmm. Now, I do wear Oakley's because their uh, prescription lenses are fantastic for road and mountain biking. So I, you think you think most Oakley's are expensive. Wait till you add an RX to them. Mm -hmm. Oh, Wow. Um, that said, it is so nice to have not a weird clip-on and so forth. That's going to be my pick or perhaps even a poll in some future uh, episode of the show. But I have never tried the Oakley uh, cleaner solution. I'm going to make a purchase based on you. Oh, I think I'm going to wow. think of it a try as well. All right. Okay. <laughs> that is, that's fantastic. You are changing look, the world look with this I've podcast, done. Hottie. I know. Look, Oakley. <laughs> Hello, Oakley. <laughs> Look what I've done for you. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, what's coming up on RKP, Patrick? <laughs> so yesterday I reviewed SRAM Force One. That's the one-by group that they do for the road uh, with hydraulic disc brakes. 
Um, and it's gotten a lot of comments. People have been pretty interested. It's, I think, a really interesting sort of thought experiment just talking about the group from the standpoint of like, what, what do you gain in terms of simplicity, in terms of weight loss, uh, and what do you lose in terms of gearing? You know, what, what does it really mean? Uh, and, you know, how does that affect your writing? And then today I published a, a post about taking the internals out of an old SRAM force lever and moving them to the, uh, to the lever that came with the one by group uh, so that I could have two by. Um, and talked about what, it, what the experience was of opening that lever up, pulling the internals out and moving them over to the new lever. Um, it, was, it was mostly just uh, an exploration uh, I don't want to say an experiment because I, I knew I'd finish it sooner or later. But yeah, over the course of a couple hours, I moved them over and uh, I talk about what that experience was and kind of my insights into SRAM and their engineering. All right. Very good. And I believe that is the show. One last reminder to our listeners, find us on Apple Podcasts and take a moment, rate us, review us. We will love you forever for that. For Hottie and Patrick, I'm Fatty. Thanks so much for listening to episode 103 of The Pace Line. What is it about this that has your interest? Well, oh, good Lord, pissy cat. Um, <laughs> <laughs>